Welcome to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, where we explore perceptions. How self-reflecting questions can give you a better understanding of self. I'm your host, Sonia Iris Lozada. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Poetic Resurrection. And today I'm so excited to talk to Bex Rose. She is a poet and your therapist at LMHC. So (laughs) tell me about your journey. How does how does being a therapist and working with people affect your poetry? And I'm like really interested (laughs) in finding that out. Oh, yeah. No, I I definitely think it's a tool for a lot of things. First of all, it's my own therapy. <laughs> when you have like a really tough session, it's good to just let things out. It's hard to kind of like, it was such a twisty, uh, swervy road to get from a poet, like who's like in high school wearing all black in the corner, <laughs> writing poetry <laughs> yeah. to like, oh, Bex, you're a clinical director and how's it gas? And <laughs> it just doesn't. <laughs> I think it's just perfect because it deals with the mind. Because yes. poetry is therapy. I mean, that's why I started writing it. I want to know, because I there's a poem that you have called A Subconscious Mind, and I've read it a couple yes. times, and it is so much what we all feel. Yeah, Being able to express that, I think it's what's beautiful about poetry, because everyone could relate to it. Yes. Do you want to give us a little bit of your history and... Mm-hmm. You know, go into your poem. How would you like to do that? Would you like to read your poem and then go into your history? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, I, I could totally, I could give you like a pretext and then I can tell the story of it after. But the pretext for it is, so as an LMHC, right, I'm a clinician and I work with a lot of different um, mental health concerns. And a lot of times we'll see like what you're saying, a lot of experiences. And since I was already a poet, I was like, you know what? I'm always explaining to my kids and my families and my clients all these big words and all these big, like sometimes really scary terms. And so I'm like, you know what? Let me just write some poetry and see if that hits. And it actually lands. And it's like, okay, so I don't have to sit here and talk about depression in a clinical way. This poem is actually about depression in a non-clinical way. Um, and so I can, I'm going to read it to you and then um, I'll explain a little bit more about like how it kind of got there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cool. So this is a subconscious mind. What are these thoughts? The if and and why? What is this feeling I get as if ripping apart from inside? Why has my internal drive become so weak? Why am I too depressed to even open my eyes to even sit up and think? Can't even make it to my own kitchen sink. Not even thirsty for a drink. It's lawless. The pressure to be human, eat, think, sleep like a person. It's arduous. It is not involving the effects of any one single event. I wish my time could be better spent. Society's pages depend on a therapy book. So quick to not even take a real look. So quick to hand us the bottle that to ask us how to spell out the name. I'm not so easy to be little with labels. Each diagnosis on paper can become quite easily a fable. Remedied with quick think drugs bought from any store and self-help label. Not knowing there's also drugs on the corners underneath the table waiting for us to crave more. Why do we have to think and be challenged to want to search for more when we're left unadored? In majority, for the very same reason you referred us to get help in the first place. I am not a charity case. I will not just fall in line. 
I will make use of this time as I tiptoe between the tattered line, between each tear-stained work of mine, I speak. For others whose medication has rendered them mute and subconscious, how dare you try to band-aid depression as if it's a ruse? I think, rather, it's abuse. To be this overlooked while I stand here let loose, I will tell you with my rhymes the enforced societal standard behind each bind, left on the mentally unequipped. Consider drones of the unkind, these vastly purged minds, it's exhausting. Left unchecked, it could be an easy departing. Why should I let that be the case too? I am as much a human being as are you. If I had a presumed fully capable mind and funds, I guess I would sue. But you'd stay there thoughtless, wondering how this mess started to involve you. Feeling targeted, you alone. Truth, oftentimes, is that you don't even bother unless it happens to one of your own. I think that is so amazing because <laughs> I have been depressed and granted. Yeah. I'm guilty of this too saying, yeah, this will pass. I am not a believer in taking drugs just to mm -hmm. suppress it. I want to live it and get to the other side. Mm. So tell me how you got to this point. Tell me what, frame of mind you were in when you wrote it and, and what affected you? Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's like a three hour podcast, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll break it down. Um, so honestly, as I was writing, so this, po this um, book took me five years to write because I only write when I'm actually feeling inspired or when I'm yes. actually going through it. And so yeah. I wrote this when I was not being medicated for my depression. And I mean, I used myself as my own guinea pig because it is so much, it's harder, yes, and vulnerable, but it was so much easier to speak from my direct experience um, than to make anyone else feel like I'm targeting them, right? And so mm -hmm. for me, when I was writing this, best believe I was crying. It, like it was, it was all emotional. It was all a way to kind of get it out there. And because I have the awareness of being a clinician and treating it, there was like, a very interesting conflict inside of like, like how much crap can I talk about my field, but then <laughs> how much can I like be honest? And um, so I went back and forth and I even have like a, a disclaimer at the top of the chapter. That's like, I should know in good faith <laughs> and for my own practice that I wrote these prior to receiving medication. And so for me, yeah, it, it just was so important for me to write it because it came out of me completely like unintentionally and I've gotten a lot of feedback saying that this is such a good way to express it and, and, and explain it. And so for me, it was kind of just like a mission that I was like, no, I'm going to put this in the book and I don't care how it makes me look. I'm going to put it out and let anyone who picks it up, like understand that I see them. Like that was really the goal. Well, it's so authentic. <laughs> and and it is scary. I know how you mean, because I actually, when you said inspired, I kind of laugh because I have a series of book called Inspire Me. And the first one is raw and it's all about raw emotions. And like you, I was afraid to let people read it because I'm like, oh, my God, now they're going to know what I really feel. And so but yet it was the yeah. opposite, just like you did. Mm, you made a difference. That. Thank you. No. Yeah. I mean, I definitely. I'm proud of this book for, for sure, but I definitely got a call from my, my mom. <laughs> I'm so sorry. What did I do to you? <laughs> and I was like, look here, trauma is trauma. You're going to let me live. But yeah, the journey for this book was very interesting. 
<laughs> and it's hard being a parent. Oh my God. I, you know, I bless people. It's like, when I think back about what I've done to my yeah. parents, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> my poor parents. <laughs> my condolence. Yeah, no, it's true. But I will say that this is also a comment on not saying that any person is bad or good. It's really just the experience. And so a lot of people internalize themselves as like, I have depression, so I'm a bad person. No, honey, this is happening to you. This is a part of you, but it's not you. It's not the sole purpose for you. It's not, you know? And so for me, it's like, I'm trying to just paint a picture of the experience rather than demonizing anyone. And I do love my mother. I'm not going to lie. Like, I love her. Yes, I had a pretty uh, difficult uh, upbringing, but she tried the best she could. And she was untreated for her mental health. So I can only imagine the exacerbation of that with stress and trauma and being a single mom. And so, you know, it it just kind of adds up. Uh, yeah, yeah, it really does. You're right, though. <laughs> now, when you use this to help your patients, I guess, with depression, do you tell them to write poetry? How do you get them to be more open like you were in this poem? Mm. So, okay, that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> so I definitely use poetry as a art form however a lot of the kids that I worked with didn't necessarily write poetry but they would draw so we would talk about feelings or big big states of mind and they would be like can I draw Miss Bags I was like absolutely I was like you know knock it out of the park and there would be some kids that would have Tourette's like me and Mm -hmm. it would always start off of something like you have what I have and I was like yeah you have what I have and I was like I have a poem for you and it was just so much more accessible and they'd be able to tell their parent like what they liked the most and what they didn't like. And then the other part of the book was for also to have it for mental health professionals that have their own practices or have clients that would benefit from it because patients from all walks of life will get very intimidated sometimes by the jargon that they get uh, charted by. And so for me, Mm -hmm. I definitely loved using it with kids. I used to do spoken word. Kids love that. Yeah, well, that spoken word, I loved it because I find spoken word to be very powerful. Yeah. It's like you are talking directly to me in spoken word, whereas other poetry is like, okay, I got to be cerebral. (laughs) (laughs) You understand (laughs) what the hell they're talking about? (laughs) What's the color of the wind? No, stop. (laughs) And it's like, I don't want to think. I want to feel. Yeah. You know, I just, I, it's, and so some of it is like, I've read some poetry where they say it's so amazing. And I go, okay, I really got to get better at my poetry. So let me read all these amazing people. And some of them, I just don't get. I don't mean, no, it's true. (laughs) You know, the metaphors are beautiful, but that's what I like about spoken word. Spoken word goes to the essence of the soul and talks to you. Yes, And it doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to free form. It's just there. This is what I feel. This is what it is. And that's it. Anybody can understand that. Yeah. And I love doing that with kids because even if kids can't write poetry, they will jump in to try to do a line with you or like try to add to it. And, And it just becomes like kind of a game of like, you know, can you finish this line with me or, and it just engages them. I'm really good about engaging kids. Though I will say in doing family therapy, I never let them win at Uno and I don't feel bad about it. 
You know what? <laughs> to this day, I don't let them win at Uno to this day. And I do not feel bad <laughs> about it. <laughs> Low frustration tolerance building right now. <laughs> but you know what? Also, I think you can't let people win. In life, people don't always win. And you learn more from your experiences than you do if somebody protects you from them. Mm. That's so, true. Yeah. Wow. That's actually, you know, it's funny when I was write, writing a lot of these, so there's over 30 poems, right. That speak to different mental disorders in this book. But what kills me is that a lot of times those poems came out of failing, failing to feel good about myself, failing to take medication, failing to agree with medication. Cause I was also like, I don't want medication yeah. um, <laughs> for the longest time. I fought it for six years and I lost that battle. I was like, okay, that medication goes a big, um yeah because you get tired of feeling that way (laughs) oh you get tired of feeling depressed or sad yeah a lot of people minimize it and this poem is also for education (laughs) like I can't tell you how it feels so here read this 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 is what I'm going through and that's happened to me a few times where a colleague has come up to me and said hey Bex this this was perfect like I needed like these words were perfect like it landed um, it made sense. I was like, good. That's, that's the goal. That, yeah. Isn't it so beautiful that it's subjective for you, but then when someone reading it, mm-hmm. it's objective. It's not judging them. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's judging me. <laughs> I know this girl's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you know, what mine is like, I have people say, I never knew this about you. And it's like, yeah. And they go, now I feel like you're more like me. Mm, more human yeah yeah yeah, it's you know we all go through it we just handle it different not better not worse but different absolutely and I don't think any way of handle unless you commit suicide and want to kill somebody those are the extreme ways of yeah there's no yeah yeah (laughs) but if you're in the middle you know I think poetry is just it helps so much with mental Mm -hmm. health absolutely yeah like Oh, yeah. So how did you get into therapy? I mean, not as teaching or, <laughs> or, or having patients. <laughs> I was like, that's a, that's an even longer podcast. Um, so how did I get to teaching it? So I genuinely love to teach. And at first I didn't think I was going to because my mom was a third grade teacher and she was really good at it. And I was like, I'm never going to be a teacher. Damn it. I, I'm a teacher. So, yeah. um, <laughs> I was in college and I was getting diagnosed with all these scary ass diagnoses. And that's when I found out I had Tourette's and I was all by myself when I found all these things out. And a mentor took me on and I realized that I was really good at psychology. Like it just came to me. I was like, oh, this is great. It just was natural. And I was like, I love helping people. I don't know why. Um, I just do. And it just kind of escalated from there. I kept pursuing it. And I was able to start by working with substance use, um, but that was too triggering for me. And then I worked with uh, families. There was something about families that had the best of all worlds. You have the education part where you get to teach. You have the crisis intervention part where you get to help in real time. And, And you get like the whole pattern of approach where you're seeing all these interactions from multiple generations, from multiple angles, and really just getting in there with them and being present. And so for me, I started with reunification therapy for kids that were in foster care that needed to go back to their biological parents. That was heartbreaking, but I did it. (laughs) It was good. 
And then I did, a, I, I went to family therapy and to preventive because preventive is the, we're the people that, that get sent into the home to prevent kids getting removed um, in the hopes of family therapy being an effective intervention. When I was doing that, and I was teaching a lot of mental health and teaching a lot of psychoeducation. I just really loved it. Mm-hmm. So I moved up. I was like, I'm going to be a clinical supervisor and I'm going to teach clinicians how to engage their families. And it was so natural. I loved it. And to this day, I maintain relationships with every single person I've ever supervised. <laughs> they wow. love me. Yeah, they follow me. <laughs> so <laughs> like, and I'm like, okay, you can work with me, but you should work with other people too. Yeah. So teaching just kind of came, it fell into my lap. And then poetry was just always there for me. Like if I didn't write poetry, I definitely wouldn't be here <laughs> right now. Um, and it was like a mix. It was like, okay, I love teaching. I love poetry. How can I, how can I combine the two? And I had to sit on it for a while, but yeah, that's, that's how I got to teaching. I, I was good at it. I loved it. And I was like, I think I can make a change. So yeah. I- and then, you know what I like about poetry and it really works with what you do with your patients yes. is it's subjective. You yep. either like it or you don't. And everybody exactly. knows that going in. Yes. You know, <laughs> it's not like you wrote a book and then you're going to get all these reviews because it's fiction and all that. But with poetry, it's hard to argue heartfelt emotions. Exactly. It's beautiful. I Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue. I'm sorry. You didn't go through that. You know, it's like, no. <laughs> Imagine that. <beautiful. laughs> I know. It's like, who are you? <laughs> Tell me People what I cannot feel. <laughs> As for, I'm just thinking about that. That'd be hysterical. No, you're right. And I think that's what makes it unique. And I was talking to a colleague about this the other day of like, which authors like, or which poets really speak to you. And it's always the poets that talk from the heart. Mm-hmm. And Maya Angelou was an exceptional example oh, of that. Yes. She inspires me. I have all her damn books. I love her. Me too. <laughs> I got a book of her quotes. I, when I feel bad about myself, I flip it open like, hey, girl, what you got for me today? Because I need some. I will read anything that woman wrote. It's like, <laughs> yeah. she is like my favorite. And if you want to okay. talk about depression mm-hmm. and sexton. Mm, okay. Someone told me to read her. I have not, but I need to. This is on my oh, list. Oh, hers this is, is on my dark. List. Shame on me. Oh, good. Let it be dark. I'll wear a cape <laughs> as I'm reading it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I have like one light on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> but she started yeah. writing poetry because of depression. It's a powerful, it's a powerful like like way to evoke things. And there was something my one, one another friend of mine told me that was like, Name one happy, successful artist. And I was like, you're petty. I was like, <laughs> it has to come from somewhere. And I think the more in tune you are with that, the poetry just kind of flows. And what I also like about poetry is what you're saying is subjectively, whatever that person's going through, whether it's a haiku, a limerick, I don't care. Like that person feels better, lighter leaving that space because you're right. letting it out onto the page. And there's nothing less, there's nothing more authentic than that. And then also, you know what I think people need to understand also is that when you write poetry, you Mm -hmm. allow yourself to be so vulnerable by doing it that you can't really judge someone. I've heard bad poetry. 
I've gone to poetry readings and I'm like, okay, that is a super rough draft. I get where they're going. I love you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's a super right. rough draft. Not yeah. ready to read out loud. Mm. But the emotions behind it are great. It's, it, it's all there. But you have to get to the point where someone can understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that vulnerability, because I that's why my, my heart goes out, not only because I'm a poet, but because it goes out to other poets because you allow yourself to be vulnerable and you know that going in. Absolutely. No, it was, it was very hard to press, uh, to, 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 to learn it was published. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to get like, I was like, about, some people about to come for me. Some people about to send me some tissues. I don't know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I was like, I, that's why I put all those disclaimers in there. Like, I'm not like this anymore. Like, yeah, but you know what? I, <laughs> I wanted to do all that stuff with mine because my first one was raw and I'm like, oh my God, you know, the people are going to know what exactly what I'm feeling. And, but then I said, you know, I was going to use a pen name. Then I said, no, Mm. I needed to get Mm -hmm. over myself. I I needed to get from where I was to another level because I was tired of being there. Right. And releasing it, I was terrified. I, I self-published and, mm-hmm. and my first thing was Kindle and she kept saying hit enter because I would publish it and I'm like put my finger over the keyboard <laughs> and now <laughs> she goes hit publish I'm like uh-uh. why <laughs> I'm like right, okay I'm gonna be torn to shreds here it goes but <laughs> but I understand it and that's and it also the fact that I went through that gives me so much more compassion for other artists. Yeah. When you're an artist like you have and you put yourself out there and you're a professional in this. So that must have been even harder. Uh, yeah, because my my supervisor bought the book and he's like, I hope that's not bad. I was like, um, I was like, just don't look at me different after, please. <laughs> he's like, he's like, what's it about? I was like, <laughs> well, like, you're going to either give me a raise or... Yeah, somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I think it's great that you do do that, and you're helping people, and you know firsthand what it's like. Yes. Who mm-hmm. better? I would love to talk to somebody that went through what I went through. I don't want to talk to somebody that's just going to open up a mental health book and say, "Okay, this is what you should be feeling and going through." Yes, I I actually feel very strongly. I okay, so this is definitely like something I felt very strongly about as well, which went into me writing this book because I really, not that I dis- detest it or anything, but like, I just don't understand sometimes when people, they're trying to have good intentions and in writing something, but it's not connecting as much because that person never understood what it really was like to go through these things. And one of the reasons I also wanted to become a clinical supervisor, I wanted to become a clinical director was because I wanted to train clinicians in successful ways because it is not every day you're going to get a clinician that has gone through what you've gone through. And my specialty was crisis management. My specialty was engagement because I'm very calm and I'm like in things like that because I'm used to dysfunction and I'm used to conflict. And so it's like I was able to go in there I had the highest amount of successful outcomes and I had no families that ended up getting removed. So it's like, that's really I was, good. I know I was very proud of that. And it <laughs> to me, but I remember whenever I would show up for the first session, 
I'm a full Brooklynite, like an actual Brooklynite. So I would show mm-hmm. up on my Tims, my hoodie, my rib jeans, and I would be like, <laughs> I'm your therapist. And they're like, no, you ain't. I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> he won't let me in this house. <laughs> and it's like from the get-go, they'll they'll be like, okay, this girl knows it. And you know, for me, that's that was just so prevalent. I don't and and I love what you're saying because it's that's how you connect to people. Like even you have what I have. I was like, yeah, no, you have what I have. I was born first. What you playing with? And yeah, that's so important in work that you're doing, especially community work, especially non-for-profit work, and especially for people that don't already trust (laughs) the government. Yeah. Well, and you know what? I grew up in the hood. So there's a part of you that's very defensive. You automatically are on alert. Because Life is hard in the hood. You know, you don't know where you're going to eat. You don't, you survival is so important. So anybody from the outside coming in, telling you how to live your life, it isn't going to fly. Hell no. It's just not. So (laughs) you doing what you do is so amazing. I mean, it's just, I think it's really beautiful that you can get people to open up to you. You yeah. have the personality because you have a great personality, and, <laughs> and you're fun. And you got for people out there. I don't know if I'm going to use the video. I will someday. But she's got tats and all of this other kind of stuff. She's very cool looking. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Sonia. <laughs> so we are getting close to the end of the interview. Mm-hmm. What do you want to say to the people out there? Is there anything you want to express and say? Yeah, I, and I say this often because of someone who has Tourette's and it's a visible disability that you can't hide from. No matter who is listening, if you don't have something in the mental health world, you probably know someone or have someone in your life that does have some form of mental health uh, concerns or even just experiences. So the honest thing I would say leaving this would be, don't forget to be kind to yourself and other people and don't allow mental health to be the sole purpose for you. It is a per- it is a part of you, but it doesn't own you. It doesn't run you. It doesn't have that unless you give it that. And you have to allow yourself to love yourself first because it's always going to be a battle, but it's better to give yourself that love first and find others that understand that and, and see that. And so if nothing else, just please remember that. That's beautiful. It's like, don't give away your power because your power is yours. Absolutely. We can always improve. We're human. That is part of our, our nature is to improve. And you know what? Change is always going to happen. So just say, embrace it. And you can get to the next step. Now, how can people reach you? What do you have? a website and yes. how can they get your book? Where's your book available? Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, Mental Health Via Poetry is available on Amazon. It's available internationally, so anyone can grab it. Um, it's Kindle, hardcover and softcover. I do have a beautiful link tree. It's Bex underscore Rose with two E's, but I do have my own website and <laughs> it's it's such a play on words, but my, my private practice is called Candor's Call. Um, part of me did that to be petty. And the other part of me did that because it's actually very meaningful because the thing about social work and working with people is that candor is never really something that you put it to forefront sometimes because it's scary, but candor's call is a meant uh, a play on words to say truth is calling you. 
and you have to find the truth within yourself before you can help others and and find that truth and in your relationships. And so if anyone Googles Candor's call, my, my mug will, will, will show up. <laughs> uh, well, and I'll also put all these links on the bottom so that you can get this fabulous book. I bought it. Give her some wonderful reviews. And that is it. Bex, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I greatly appreciate you. Thank you for having me. You are such a bright light and I love your energy so, so much. Thank you for what you do. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast. Available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, and many other podcast platforms. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.